Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week <coughs> is called Staggering Between Despair and Presumption, Flannery O'Connor's Christian Realism. It's based upon the lectionary text for Sunday, July 13th, 2014. When Flannery O'Connor died from lupus at the age of 39, she had published a modest amount of work, two novels, 31 short stories, and some essays in reviews. But that was enough to make her one of America's greatest fiction writers. In her article, Joy Williams recalls how Rust Hills, the fiction editor of Esquire, put O'Connor in the middle of the red-hot center in his literary establishment chart of 1963. O'Connor was an odd duck. She was an only child, socially awkward, deeply introverted, and colorfully eccentric. She once described herself as, quote, a pigeon-toed child with a receding chin and a you-leave-me-alone-or-I'll-bite-you complex. She laced her coffee with coke, told racist jokes, refused a visit by James Baldwin, never married, and collected exotic birds. A deeply pious Catholic, she lived in the Baptist South. When she entered college, O'Connor intended to be a political cartoonist, but she later found her calling at the Iowa Writers' Workshop. She was an exceptionally disciplined writer, establishing early on an inviolable and lifelong regimen of writing three pages a day every morning. After leaving Milledgeville, Georgia, for Iowa, New York City, and Connecticut, O'Connor's diagnosis of lupus at the age of 26, the same disease that killed her father when he was 45, sent her back to the 550-acre working dairy farm run by her widowed and overbearing mother. Doctors said that she had five years to live. In that isolation, she wrote powerfully disturbing fiction that shocked her readers. The content of her fiction was her confession of faith. She said, My subject in fiction is the action of grace in territory largely held by the devil. For her, that devilish territory was the racist, impoverished, and rural South. When readers complained about her grotesque characters and violent stories, she was unapologetic. I'm tired of reading reviews that call a good man brutal and sarcastic. The stories are hard, but they are hard because there's nothing harder or less sentimental than Christian realism. O'Connor attended daily mass most of her adult life. She called herself a 13th century Christian and a hermit novelist. She read broadly and deeply in Aquinas and other theologians, and wrote over a hundred book reviews for two Catholic newspapers. 
For her, the craft of her art, good stories well told, was an end in itself and a sign of God's grace. O'Connor was far from home and only 20 when she entered the Iowa Writers' Workshop. While there, she kept a prayer journal from January 1946 until September 1947. This journal was published last year. The journal itself is short and is followed by a facsimile of the original Sterling notebook in O'Connor's own handwriting. Her prayers of consecration found their fulfillment, too. While writing this prayer journal, O'Connor was also working on her first novel, Wise Blood, that was published in 1952. The journal demonstrates how early and how strongly O'Connor sensed God's call to a writerly vocation. She prays to be not just a good writer, but a specifically Christian writer. Quote, Please let Christian principles permeate my writing, and please let there be enough of my writing published for Christian principles to permeate. She's self-conscious about her precocious talent. Anything good that she writes, she says, comes directly from God as his gift. She says, Dear God, tonight it is not disappointing because you have given me a story. Don't let me ever think, dear God, that I was anything but the instrument for your story, just like the typewriter was mine. O'Connor also frets about her faith. I dread, O Lord, losing my faith. My mind is not strong. It's prey to all sorts of intellectual quackery, I do not want it to be fear which keeps me in the church. In the journal, O'Connor confesses her ambition. She worries about mediocrity as a believer and as a writer, and gets discouraged on both fronts. And so she writes how she, quote, staggers between despair and presumption. Such is Flannery O'Connor's unsentimental Christian realism. Her language might sound extreme, but living in the tension between despair and presumption is a good if difficult place to live as a believer. We should be wary of both extremes. We ping-pong between the realities of human nature described so graphically in her novels and our hope to experience the mystery of divine grace. Between the already of God's kingdom and the not yet of its consummation. With the psalmist, we confess God as both infinite mystery and intimate father. Isaiah says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than our ways. In the epistle this week, from Romans 8, Paul contrasts living in the flesh with what he calls life in the spirit. And in the gospel, Jesus describes how some seeds shrivel and die, while others bear plentiful fruit. 
O'Connor's description of living between despair and presumption reminds me of George Herbert's poem, Affliction 4. Listen to it. Broken in pieces all asunder, Lord, hunt me not, a thing forgot. Once a poor creature, now a wonder, a wonder tortured in the space betwixt this world and that of grace. My thoughts are all a case of knives, wounding my heart with scattered smart, as watering pots give flowers their lives. Nothing their fury can control while they do wound and prick my soul. All my attendants are at strife, quitting their place unto my face. Nothing performs the task of life. The elements are let loose to fight, and while I live, try out their right. O oh, help, my God, let not their plot kill them and me, and also thee, who art my life. Dissolve the knot, as the sun scatters by his light all the rebellions of the night. Then shall those powers which work for grief enter thy pay, and day by day labor thy praise in my relief, with care and courage building me, till I reach heaven, and much more, thee. Despite her many diminishments, Flannery O'Connor stayed true to God's call on her life. She rejected pious platitudes and sentimentality for the hard truths of Christian realism. She reminded us, as she once wrote, grace changes us, and that change is painful. Her books this week, I review a title by one of my favorite authors, Andrew Basevich. The title, Breach of Trust, How Americans Failed Their Soldiers and Their Country. New York Metropolitan Books, 2013, 238 pages. For the last 10 years, Andrew Basevich has combined his personal experiences and professional expertise to critique American culture. Basevich graduated from West Point, spent 23 years in the military, including Vietnam, and later earned a PhD from Princeton. By 2003, his long-held neoconservative beliefs about the benign purposes of American power had so completely crumbled that he now considers them what he calls preposterous. In 2007, his son was killed in Iraq. Today, Basevich is director of Boston University's Center for International Relations. He's described himself as a cultural conservative who views mainstream liberalism with skepticism, but also as a person whose disenchantment with what passes for mainstream conservatism, embodied in the former Bush administration and its groupies, is just about absolute. 
He also identifies himself as a conservative Catholic. Basavit started to write one sort of book, but in this case ended up in a different place than he expected. His convictions about what he calls our civil-military dysfunction led him to see that as a mere symptom of a deeper problem. An approach to national security at odds with democratic values that actually undermines the country's well-being. Our military system is not only broken in his view, it's deeply wrong. What most people see as our greatest strength is our abiding flaw, namely the all-volunteer service instituted by President Nixon. We've moved from compulsory conscription shared collective sacrifice in a citizen military to a military of professional warriors controlled by the state. Less than 1% of our citizens serve in the military, which makes it possible for the 99% of us to remain blissfully unaware about our state of perpetual war. The state no longer needs the consent of citizens to wage war, and so there are barely any inhibitions to war. There's plenty of blame to go around in Basevich's view, and it's not at all limited by party affiliation. In one chapter, he laments the contemptible irresponsibility of our intellectuals. Politicians, for their part, are paid by the military-industrial complex. We've outsourced significant aspects of the military to for-profit contractors. Military careerists are loath to change. All of which, says Basevich, points to what he calls a form of prolonged ritual suicide. Andrew Basevich, Breach of Trust. For movies this week, I review Lars and the Real Girl from back in 2007. Lars, who is played by Ryan Gosling, is a pathologically shy individual who at age 27 barely speaks or makes eye contact. He still carries his baby blanket. He resists all the loving overtures of his brother, and sister-in-law. And in this movie, he even buys a life-size sex doll named Bianca and treats her like a real person. When the doctor urges his family to indulge his delusions, they exclaim with exasperation, but the doll's not real. To which the doctor replies, of course she's real. Lars and his brother suffered painful family issues. But maybe Lars is no more crazy, says one person, than your cousin who dresses his cat, or brother who gives money to the UFO Society. Interestingly, the church plays a very positive role in this movie. And in one scene, the parishioners are urged to love one another because love is the main point of the gospel. This movie is a clever effort about love, loneliness, and community. 
For a similar take on this subject, see the 2000 movie Her, about a man who falls in love with the voice avatar on his cell phone. Lars and the Real Girl from 2007. And for poetry this week, we posted a poem by the great 18th and 19th century poet William Wordsworth. He lived from 1770 to 1850. It's called My Heart Leaps Up. My heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. So was it when so it, so was it when my life began? So is it now I am a man? So be it when I shall grow old or let me die. The child is father of the man, and I could wish my days to be bound to each by natural piety. William Wordsworth, My Heart Leaps Up. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, July 13th, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.